They even get rewarded for good behavior with spontaneous orgasms. They have it better than us. This is episode 15 of the Multiverse Cartographer series on YouTube and podcast of the same name in reference to a book called The Multiverse Cartographer, which was the third book in a series. The first book was called The Small Gray Mouse and Other Short Stories. The second book was Smaller Mouse. The third book was The Multiverse Cartographer. Put them all together and add some bonus material and you get The New World Empire and The Interdimensional Coffee House, which I don't recommend buying right now. Hey, Edward. I hope you don't mind me interjecting. Oh, hey. I just thought if you don't mind, maybe I can supplement this video with some of my thoughts as well. Right, right. Maybe fill in anything you might have missed. Okay, okay. So why are you telling people not to buy our book? Uh, yeah, no, I was uh, just saying that because um, this is going to be a lot thicker uh, pretty soon. Um, Ruler of the World. It's the first short story that I wrote ever in uh, 1990, 1991, right on the border between those two years. I then tried to look at myself but saw nothing. It was the weirdest sensation to feel but not see yourself. Um, and then when I wrote much more recently, like within the past two weeks, called uh, Hungry Ghosts, those are both going to be in it um, after the next edition comes out. And uh, also, um, all of these commentaries are going to be included in an appendix section um, so that people can really get a full, as full of an understanding of the story uh, as I can give. So I watched your recital of Rosalind, William and Lucy and the Round Table. Oh, okay. The one, the one I haven't recorded yet that I'm about to record? Okay. Right. You sent it to me after you had finished. Uh, you wanted me to give you my thoughts on it? Wow, okay. So I just time-traveled back a few hours and thought I'd catch you before you recorded it. Okay, yeah, sure. Sure, interesting, okay. In fact, it'd probably be best if you just forget that I'm here. Do it as you were gonna do it already, and I'll... Uh, record my commentary and just edit it in. After you finish recording, send it to me in present time in your timeline at that time. Otherwise, I won't go back and talk to you now. And we don't want to create one of those major paradoxes like in uh, Back to the Future, you know? Just want to kind of try to avoid that kind of yeah, situation. I, I get it. Okay. So today, for today, I am going to be off script, which is fun because I'll actually be looking at you instead of my screen. And without further ado, I will read and then break down the chapter called Rosalind from Smaller Mouse. Rosalind gazed through the window at the self-lighting life forms found only here 
in the deepest abysses of the ocean. In the window's reflection, she smiled at her newest pet, a redbird named David, sitting on the sofa behind her. She flattened Japanese sticky rice on seaweed, sliced various raw fish meats, laid them across the rice with avocado, rolled them, cut them, then sat on the couch with David. She gave him a gold set of chopsticks and spent a long time instructing him on how to use them until he was able to do so with aplomb and grace. David finally sampled one of her experimental rolls. He chewed it and looked around, admiring the maroon leather interior. He said, and thou dost not mind a question, how didst thou manage to possess a white bird? Rosalind's smile began to fade. Tis quite a painful story. That's the end of the chapter. It's uh, one page, only only half half the page filled. So that is one of two times, three times, in the whole series that the name Rosalind is mentioned. The name itself is a nod to Dan Brown. And uh, her subtext story is that she is a, of, a, of some kind of a aristoc aristocratic equivalent in that society. She's not quite royalty, but um, maybe a distant cousin of royalty on one side or whatever. And she was having a relationship with a king, the king of Hebrarabia. And uh, then he had an arranged marriage that he had to honor with uh, the Tsar's daughter. And so he apologized to Rosalind and broke up with her and gave her one of his three white birds. And there were only 30 white birds in the world. And you might remember, we talked a lot about the white birds in the chapter called Job. 30 white birds waited majestically for their purpose. Just a small point here, uh, a point thing to add. In 1980, I want to say 85, my dad got an 86 Isuzu Trooper maroon. And uh, then later on, after he passed away in 93, I got my first car in 94. My mom took me to a repo lot and I found an 86 Isuzu Trooper maroon with uh, tinted back windows, just like uh, my dad had done on his old car. So it was his second to last car and my first car was maroon. So there's a little bit of the subtext behind the scenes. Not really subtext. It's not really related to the text. It's more meta text, I think, in the way that I'm using it, not in the way that some French guys use it. So she's a kind of a free person who mingles, you know, but keeps to herself mostly within the uh, structure of the empire itself. And she has a Getty which is a reference to a documentary I saw once that talked about how uh, the J. Paul Getty Museum, or one of the two, the older looking one, was made in the image of Caesar's uncle's villa in Pompeii. So I, I guess that was his father-in-law, not his uncle, 
Although, uh, I don't know, family trees were a little mixed up back then. Based largely on the partially excavated Villa dei Papiri. And uh, so the idea was, again, with as subtext, in some of the kind of things that didn't even end up into the cutting room floor uh, chapter of this book, just kind of notes mostly and ideas in my head. Certain people of, of means in that society might live in a Getty, and there's maybe a, at least a few hundred of these uh, replicas of, of Caesar's uncle's place in the example of the J. Paul Getty Museum in California. So that's Rosalind in a nutshell. Uh, it's all, she's basically all subtext. Like I said, that chapter is one of three times her name was mentioned. You already heard her name mentioned in the timeline. 2640, Rosalind meets Yusuf of Hebrerabia. 2650, Yusuf marries Tsar Titov II's daughter, Stasia, gives Rosalind one of his white birds to apologize. 2655, Rosalind meets Redbird David. 2657, Simon meets David. David paints his Redbird blue. And then her name will be mentioned again later in something that we will read in part 16 of this series. We'll be reading that in part 17, it turns out, not part 16. Part 16 is going to be focused on Charles Rubin and the interdimensional coffee house. So I'll leave you with that for Rosalind for now. Just, you know, you'll hear her name once again. William and Lucy. Lucy appeared at a table across from William the Sixth wrapped in her agendas, giggling to herself. She wore long black hair, red lipstick matching her elaborate velvet dress, and gold with colorful gems inlaid in rings, bracelets, armlets, anklets, and a necklace. Lucy's mood was always written all over her in clothing and jewelry. William didn't quite smile, but it was evident that he was a good deal more entertained by Lucy than anything in his pane of glass. How art thou, Miss Bathory? he asked, already knowing where she'd been and why. To be honest, father, I don't appreciate that illusion. There's quite a difference betwixt me and her. She hath killed virgins and bathed in their blood because she did believe it to prolong her youth, whereas I do so because I do not want anyone to ever think that she was any cooler than I am. William chuckled slightly. Whither art thou? The asteroid, Lucy held out her hand over the table, palm downward. An ancient-looking golden chalice appeared, inlaid with the same jewels she was wearing. She held her fist over it, then extended her fingers, allowing thick black oil to pour out of her palm. When it was half full, her palm returned to skin and a match appeared between her fingers. She lit it with her extended red thumbnail and dropped it into her chalice. It ignited. She drank from it, set it down, then looked up at her father, smiled, and asked, and whither art thou? Anglesey, William said, then looked back into the pane of glass in front of him. 
I am glad to see thou art making friends. Baggett is not my friend, father. He is my pawn, she giggled to herself. To what end? To train him. The resistance doth suck, and war helpeth the economy. Worry not about it, father. Only follow my lead. William looked back at the pane of glass, scrolling with his pupils. Thou makest a cute blonde, thou knowest. Lucy lit a long, thin cigarette in an even longer, thinner cigarette holder and held her chalice up high. To the empire, William lifted his wine glass. They toasted and drank. Mine empire, she thought to herself. Lucy, father, it hath been far too long since we went for a ride. Let's unplug for a while, shall we, father? I shall meet thee in the stables, my dear. I will be there in one hour. So there you have William and Lucy. They were riding horses, I assume, hopefully. Actually, there was a point where I was thinking that Lucy would have this really striking, beautiful appearance when she's in the alternate, you know, worlds, uh, whether they be uh, free worlds where she's apparently walking around uh, and has a lot of control, and, or the Empire's worlds. Uh, but then in real life, of course, she's horribly inbred, you know, and all this. But I, I never went, I, that's not canon. That's just something that something I was toying with at one point, um, but we'll we'll go ahead and say that they learned from uh, oh I forget the name of that Spanish king. There was that royal family that just got way too inbred, and then they realized hmm we should stop doing this so much. So anyway, all right, proceed. You might notice two things at first. This is the first we've seen of Lucy. But if we paid close attention, then we realize that we had already been introduced to Lucy performing an act in which she took on a character called Eva. We had also met Lucy one other time when she and Blythe were both 13 in the chapter called The Subways. Blythe heard the sound of giggling and turns to the stairs where many redbirds had entered the subways moments before. There she saw a girl her own age, with long black hair, wearing all red. She just stood there, grinning at Blythe. As Blythe wept, she looked back toward the entrance, but the other girl was gone. Blythe and Lucy are the same age. For whatever reason, 13-year-old Lucy has decided to tag along for this particular raid on the rebels. So what's going on here? Lucy, as anybody who's seen the whole series will know, is short for Lucifer. And Eva is a reference to the biblical Eve but it was the one pretending to be the other. But she is actually a human princess. 
who is the daughter of William VI of Anglesey. But anybody who has been watching from the beginning might remember, might think that most of this sounded very familiar. Lucy appeared there. She was constantly wrapped in her agendas, giggling to herself with long black hair, mascara, ruby red lipstick matching her red velvet dress. Right, that part. So, yeah, uh, this is what that evolved into. The original characters in Second Fruit were Blythe, Job, and Charles. And then on another level, some kind of Twin Peaks, Black Lodge type heaven realm, but of Hindu type gods that can have avatars walking on earth, which I guess would include Jesus. So on that level, there was um, Joe, Lucy, and Luke. And Luke was the son of Joe and Lucy and the higher self of Job. And that's kind of subtext for how all of these characters get along in the New World Empire. That only people who buy this whole volume will, will have all the, the data to confirm that assertion. And finally for today, we have the round table. The round table. Two tall, gray-skinned, long-fingered Venusians sat on the stone steps of a small amphitheater from centuries before. One of them, Roy, was staring at the empty stage, visualizing a play he was in the middle of composing. The other, Charles the Gray, was leaning back on his elbows, wearing dark glasses, shaking his head and laughing to himself. At what art thou laughing, Charles? Charles took off the glasses and handed them to Roy, his fellow eccentric Venusian. Baggett hath managed to get a spy in the inner court, earth stuff. Ah, Roy said, as he examined the glasses, mildly curious before putting them on. Roy then saw a large circular golden table surrounded by 11 thrones. On each sat a man wearing a black mask and a crown. Behind them were others who were all fancily dressed. Wherefore the masks? Roy inquired. Tis so nobody knoweth their faces, save close friends and family, so they can walk around without being harassed or thou knowest assassinated. Sensible, Roy continued watching. The first one who spoke in the recording was the woman in the red dress standing behind William VI of Anglesey. What we do with our people is our own business. They Will they never understand? All we want to do is to help them, educate them and civilize them, to bring them into this modern age whither everyone is happy, well taken care of, employed. Not a single person in the empire is starving. This is a different person talking save for the rebels who insist on living off-grid, even like rats in the sewers. On the other hand, redbirds and drones could not ask for a better life. A new person talking. Methinks these few million rebels knows something the 12 billion upstanding citizens know not. Some laughter. The hypocrites dare to accuse us of taking away freedom from our people. Absurd. 
Every redbird in the mass self-discipline is a volunteer. We ended the draft centuries ago, and their employees, these drones, they are happier than any peasant or proletarian hath ever been. Instead of go all, criminals are reformed in an instant, have access to all the same amenities as anyone. Taking away freedom, we give our subjects more freedom than anyone hath ever known, and they get the best nutrients available. Not only that, they can choose from hundreds of thousands of sensations, tastes, whatever they want. They, get, they even get rewarded for good behavior with spontaneous orgasms. They have it better than us, more laughter. They listen to whatever music they like while they work. They spend their credits on visions, sounds, any kind of experience they could possibly imagine. Look, we all know all of this already. Tis getting late. Some of us have other things to do. Hear, hear. The resistance must be stopped, no matter the cost. They choose the sewers over our comfortable beds. They choose the dark web over our paradise. Wherefore can they accept us not? Let us take care for them not. What could they possibly desire that we cannot that we can provide for them not? Aye, we are all in agreement about these things, but let us please, tis clear the rebels are a disease which must be cured. That settles it. That settles t then. The new resolutions will go into effect with all. They will either join us or they will die. Either way, the resistance will end. Agreed. Let us be done with this. We're all very tired. All in favor of the new resolutions? I, 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 nay. What is it, William? Lucy? Thank thee, Father. Lucy began slowly circumambulating the table. I know we are all quite tired hither, and we have all loved ones to which to return. Well, most of us. Some laughter. William, with respect, why dost thou allow her to let her speak? Thanks, Titov. My father will change his vote right now, I assure ye, and we can all go home. I only have one request. I want Blythe Elbakian. Pardon? Who? She is one of the rebel leaders. We have captured her once before, and somehow she is back in the subways of New World Center. Tis simple. The first thing you will do is focus efforts toward finding and capturing her, and ye will bring her directly to me. What dost thou intend to do with her? With respect, Yusuf, that is not thy concern. Okay, well, does anyone object? Speak now. All right then, request granted. William? Aye. Knock. So be it. Roy took off the glasses. Earth is strange. Right? Charles the Grey replied, shaking his head. Roy gave the glasses back to Charles the Grey. It seems thy girlfriend is in trouble. Who? Blythe. She is not my... Wherefore dost thou say so? Didst thou watch it to the end? Nay, not yet. Roy looked at Charles the Grey with sympathy. Thou shouldst watch it to the end. Yeah, so now we get a look behind the veil, behind the veil. This is what goes on at the heart of the Empire, and this is Lucy's uh, place in it at present. She seems to have the ability to 
manipulate uh, the people who sit around the table. And uh, But it seems to be structured, not quite in a democratic way, more of an oligarchic way, I guess, if you look at it as a world empire, in that it has 11 kings. They've divided the world up into 11, and they have to get six out of five uh, votes on anything that affects everybody, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, then we get the idea that Lucy wants everybody in the Empire, every Redbird, every of all levels, uh, to keep an eye out for Blythe, or she's using the power of the entire Empire to focus on one task, to capture Blythe and deliver her over to Lucy, and we don't know why. But we know that she is currently interacting with Baggett and helping him become the new great leader of the Resistance in, in disguise, in the form of Eva. So this part isn't very subtle, I don't think. And if you've seen the videos before this one, then I feel like I'd just be repeating myself if I point out that this is kind of where the, uh, the, the drones in the New World Empire universe line up with the uh, corporate drones, the office workers in, uh, I guess, the world today, you could say. Um, giving up hours and hours of their life. Uh, I remember just an example of myself when I was working 40 hours a week. That didn't include the hour and a half each way commute. Um, and uh, I think I mentioned in uh, the previous video about going to happy hour. I, I actually, I mean, in my particular situation, uh, I was, you know, in an isolated community that I've talked about before. Um, and then I got a job with regular people, you know, regular people, people that weren't in the cult, you know. And so I kind of became the happy hour guy. I was always the one organizing happy hours. They probably had two or three times as many happy hours in 2004 through 2006 because I was there. Um, so this didn't really apply to me exactly. Um, but the idea that a person goes to social events with their coworkers as kind of an extension of the false family office environment or there's peer pressure or whatever it is, um, you know, giving up a Friday night because you feel like you have to because it's so-and-so's birthday in accounting, you know, or whatever. Um, so yeah, so you, you give up all of this time and energy and consciousness in exchange for which you get to have sensations like seeing things, movies, hearing things, music, podcasts, YouTube, internet, electric bill, you know, you have to pay the electric bill. And uh, so you have to go to work to pay the electric bill, you know. And so the drones 
as they are in the 27th century in this universe. I mean, like I said, it's not very subtle. I did write this over 20 years ago, and I think I was trying to make a point, uh, but I mean, the point I think is just uh, aggravation, frustration, feeling trapped, feeling stuck, like a hamster going around a wheel, and uh, you know, um, not at cause, but at the effect of the system. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, again, this is all stuff that is kind of obvious and doesn't even really need to be pointed out, but I felt like it would be weird if I just sort of like let that play out as it did uh, without pointing that out or mentioning something about it. As I mentioned, this one is unscripted. I'm just sort of going off the cuff here while I'm walking around in uh, North Goa, India. I hope everybody has a wonderful day, week, night, month, whenever you're watching this. Next time we will be reading... I just double-checked and it turns out there's going to be two more episodes because uh, I've forgotten we're going to be going back and resolving that old Charles Rubin issue over in the Coffee House universe with two chapters. One is called Larry the Librarian. The other is called All Heads. Until then. Mm-hmm.